Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. I'm Paul Tatino with Super Bowl 42 champion Jeff Eagles, and we'll be here for the next hour to talk Giants football. We will also hear part one of our interview with Giants former Pro Bowl left tackle Jumbo Elliott, who will offer his thoughts on the challenges facing the team's rebuilt offensive line. In just a bit, you can give us a call, jot it down. It is 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960, or you can always reach us on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. I am at GiantsWFAN. He is at Jay Fiegels. We'll give you the address for the Giants mailbag later on during the program. Good morning, Mr. Fiegels. Good afternoon, Mr. Dottino. It is afternoon again. You always bust my horns on that because we actually start straight up at noon and then it becomes the afternoon by the time I read the intro. Yeah, that's right. I get you on that every single time. Other than that, I'm doing good this afternoon. was doing great this morning, too. There you go. Well, the humidity finally coming down just a little bit. It ought to be interesting to see what our weather is for training camp whenever they finally get on the field. But this is typical training camp weather for sure. Mm. Yeah, it kind of makes you start to think about you know, football again and how great it would be to be out there. And there really is none. So we don't know what's going to happen. Right. But it's planning accordingly. Coaches and players are becoming here pretty soon. So we'll see what happens. I know that there was some news uh, that you'll probably, you know, go over that in a minute here, Paul. But, you know, first of something. And I know I'll let you introduce that. Well, we you got a bunch of new, we got a bunch of news items we'll get to in a little while. But first up, you know, we talk about people losing weight in the heat. Not so much for Giants quarterback <laughs> Daniel Jones. Now, Jones came into the league out of Duke at 6'5", 220. Okay. Eli Manning, by the way, came into the league at about 6'5", 220. He left at 6'5", 220. Mm. Not so much for Daniel Jones. Mm. According to uh, Paul Schwartz of the New York Post, quarterback's uh, trainer Anthony Boone has been working uh, extensively with Jones during this offseason. They've had 20 different sessions, and Jones has put on some weight. Now, I don't know how much of it is muscle, how much of it is just maturity. Is it good or bad weight? Yeah. Well, I, I don't have an answer for that. Now, Boone's telling Schwartz he believes that it's good weight and it will help him to uh, enhance his durability. He is supposedly up somewhere in the area of about 230 pounds. Mm. From your perspective, how many quarterbacks have you known over your career because you played with a bunch of them? who enhanced their weight numbers because they thought it would help either their strength or their durability? Well, I, I think that the weight number is just an, it's an, it's an, it's a figure that you've got to get to in a roundabout way. Now, like you said, Paul, there's good and there's bad weight. And muscle is heavier than fat. So guys can put on muscle where they look buffed and they, you know, they've got, they got some beef to them and they put on 15, 20 pounds, but they don't look like they put on 15 or 20 pounds on the scale, it says they did. But so that's what I mean. So if it's good weight, um, I've been around guys where they've gone both ways. They've gone uh, higher and they've gone, they've had to go lower. You know what I'm saying? Like some guys need to get, they say, you know what, I need to lose some weight just to get faster or I need to put on some weight so that I can be able to still maintain my ability to run the, you know, run, but I also want to be stronger and being able to take some hits. So, you know, maybe last year Daniel Jones realized that he had to do what he's doing um, in order to stay healthy because there was probably some times that we didn't know about it, him coming off the field or even after games saying, wow, you know, if I'm going to get hit like this, I need to I need to beef up a little bit and, and just get a little more serious about my weight training. I will tell you this, Paul, 
Um, you know, in college, I, I would I think that college there's a little bit more emphasis on weight training to a point where they do it more. Where that the college level everything is is specified to that athlete. So Daniel Jones, like he has his own trainer. Uh, there's a guy that's working with him specifically on certain goals and things that he wants to do. Uh, offensive linemen that are big fat guys. They are going to have an individualized workout that's going to help them achieve their goal of either losing weight or, or putting on some muscle mass or whatever it is. So everybody's different. The most muscular quarterback that I have ever come across happens to be a giant, and that would be Phil Simms. It was funny because I was just going to say, you know, Phil was a pretty muscular, strong guy, you know, so – um, well, he did that to himself because he got injured so often early in his career. Mm-hmm. He believed that to to enhance his strength was the only way he was going to be able to last in the National Football League. So yeah. he worked endlessly, and I mean endlessly, on his physique to add muscular bulk. Yeah. It was to the point where, I'm not kidding, now he... he I think they listed him at about six three and a half. I think I think he was closer to six two and a half, or maybe six three. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this, Jeff, he had the physique. He was cut out like a tight end. Mm-hmm. And Parcells used to say all the time, he's not a quarterback; he's a football player. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, you notice it. So, uh, just a few years ago, you know, Eli lost ten pounds, ten or fifteen pounds, from down from whatever he was. And his thing was that he needed to – he just felt it would be better a better playing weight for him. So that is a prime example of some people going the other way. But there's a good way to lose that type of weight. You know what I'm saying? Like you're still – it's not like you're fasting for two months to lose 15 pounds as a professional quarterback. Yeah. You're working out and you're doing specific things to drop the weight, but you got to be able to maintain your your strength, um, arm strength, flexibility. And I know this because as I got older, I realized that – you know, you lose your strength because you're just you get older and you got to find ways to replenish that. And that would be trying to do different exercises and increasing your your abs and doing things for your hamstrings and, you know, hip flexor muscles, all that kind of stuff. So it's, I, it's, I would say that that Eli, when, when he got up to because he, he went down, as you said, 10 pounds, mm-hmm. I think it was a year or two ago, he probably only played at 230 for a couple of years where it looked like he had put on a little bit of weight, but it wasn't muscular weight. And then, as you said, he dropped it uh, here at the end and yeah. and certainly looked very, very much in shape as he did when he first came into the league. Well, he, he was always in great shape. And, by the way, that's one way of playing the consecutive games that he did mm-hmm. is by being in great shape. Now, a lot of people will sit there and say, well, what does being in shape have to do with anything? Well, listen to this. You First of all, you know, if when you're in good, good health and good shape, your recovery is quicker. So as you get older and you get hit like quarterbacks do, if you're in not great shape, you're not going to recover quick enough. And that's and that's a cumulative effect over time. So through the season, maybe around 12, 13 weeks into the season, your body's feeling it. If you're not a fine tuned, conditioned athlete like Eli was. I don't want to give him too much credit, but if he like he was, <laughs> uh, and I wish he was here right now. He would be laughing with me. But that that helps, and that's what you got to do. You really do, and that's why he was able to consecutively play the games that he did. Well, no hopefully, question. Daniel Jones will have a consecutive game streak that even resembles. Well, you know what, what Eli I, Manning I, did. Well, we already know that that that's not true from what happened last year. Um, did, did you know, he sat out? Did he sit out one game? No, he didn't. Did he? Did he play all of them? 
I think he did. No, he came. Remember, Eli, Eli came Eli, back Eli against the. Um, yeah, Eli had to come off. Had to come off the bench. That's right. He came off the bench. So you know that's. And he a, had to play those two games against right. Philly so, and Miami. Mm-hmm. So right, right then and there, he knows how difficult it is just to play one season without missing a game, let alone fourteen well, or fifteen, so however many he did. Let, let's look at this as a step forward. Well, it's time to bring in today's guest. Jumbo Elliott started at left tackle as the Giants won Super Bowl twenty-five. He was with the team from 1988 through 95. Now, this is only part one of the interview. Part two will run on the Giants huddle this weekend. But for now, we wanted to get Jumbo Elliott's impressions of this year's offensive line, specifically first-round tackle Andrew Thomas. Yeah, you know, great expectations there and very exciting. Um, you know, I had, I didn't get to see him a lot in college, but, uh, you know, other than highlights. But overall, our giant law offensive line is not where it needs to be, right? So what are we, like mid-pack, ranked right around 20th line or something like that? Mm-hmm. And that's just not Giants football. And it hasn't been that, uh, Giants football for, for a number of years now. Um, you know, so, I'm not, you know, we need to get back to that. We got a really great running back. We have a, a bright young quarterback. It looks like he's on the up and coming. And, um, it's just, we gotta, we have to do our job up front. So Thomas has me excited. You know, we can't be 20th ranked O-line. We, we gotta move up into the top 10 for sure this year. And then, you know, obviously, you know, you prefer to be in the top five always, but, you know, we gotta make one step at a time. So we got, we got a possibility of, does Thomas play his natural position in left tackle, uh, like he did in college, or do we, or do we see a possible move of Nate, uh, Solder? Over to the right side, right side for that, or, or are we going to see Nate? We got a, uh, I think you know the Giants committed to him um, with a with a um, the contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do we keep him on the left side and see if Thomas can can uh, grow up on the right side before taking over eventually on the left? This is going to be interesting without without the OTAs. And football camp a little different now than back in our day. <laughs> Let's say that uh, it's it's a little it's going to be hard because you know for one thing he's a rookie, so he needs to get his feet wet. Um, and the other thing is for his shoulder where to move. That's the only look. I was a left tackle my whole career, and if, I, if they moved me to the right side, I would have been like a fish out of water for for at least a little while. You know. Mm-hmm. That's that's a huge adjustment. So I want to see. I'm curious to see if they try that move right away, or they let the kid work into it first. You know, uh, competing on the right side and plugging that hole. So that's one thing to watch for sure. Um, I think Pert. We got a big kid, Pert, coming in there, who's more of a, a project. You know. I'm sure he'll see action on short yardage and stuff like that. But, you know, it looks like he's someone who needs coached up for a year or two before he's, you know, uh, a real mainstay. Uh, so I'd say he's more in the project category. And listen, if Pert surprises me and he's, he's an ass kicker right away, hats off and all, you know, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> so, forget it. So we could have a battle on the right side with Pert, who's a project, Thomas, unless they go right away with him at left tackle, 
And then Fleming. Fleming's a great pickup because he can play both sides. Right. Right? So now we're getting back. Remember, we were talking about my Super Bowl team, what a deep team we had. To see that. That, I'm uh, very glad to see that we got him because, we, you know, you need depth. And if guys get hurt or whatever, you don't want to see a massive drop-off. You want to be able to sustain things. So, so he's big, um, and you know that's he's going to be in the mix for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, I'm saying he's a backup, but he's in the mix at right tackle. He can compete and win that job. Um, and then you know, yeah, center—that's the next biggest thing. That center with a young quarterback who's still learning. What do you do there? You probably keep the well. Spencer Pulley is the holdover right now. Jalapio is still coming off of injury. And then they think that Lemieux, the kid they drafted out of Oregon, may be in the mix. Well, Lemieux, I don't know enough about. Now he's got to make a he's got to make a name for himself. Uh, you know, first three draft picks usually, you know, get get a little bit longer look. Uh, once you drop down to the fourth, fifth round and stuff, you you got to show something. And so hopefully he will. I, I imagine you keep Pulley there because he's got more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gates could surprise in camp. Uh, you know, we'll see on that one. But you know, I think the experience probably wins out with a younger quarterback. Um, yeah, I think the most exciting thing to see is will they move Nate over to the right side and, and, and let Thomas just from day one say left tackle is his position, or you know, uh, or do they choose that, or do they choose? Uh, go ahead and let Thomas compete with Kurt and Fleming um, on the right side and then keep me over on the left side. Offensive linemen have always said to me they'd love to run block. It's easier and it and it's better in terms of you guys are on the attack instead of receiving that pass rush. Even though they've got a Daniel Jones, they've also got Saquon Barkley back there. So I'm sure if you were playing on this offensive line, you'd rather see Barkley run it 30 times a game, wouldn't you? Oh, for sure. You know, it's funny. I was talking to an old teammate. You remember Giant Joe Morris? Right? Oh, little Joe. Yeah, little Joe. I was talking to his brother, Jamie, who was a Redskin for, for a few years. And a Michigan guy, by the way, Jamie Morris, like yourself. Exactly. I was just talking to him last night, and he still holds the record for carries in a game. You know, Joe Gibbs tried to kill him. He almost... <laughs> He had like 45 attempts or something. I mean, you know, it's funny you say 30 carries because I was like, you know, I was making fun of Jamie last night. We had a little fun. I was saying, oh, my God. You know, nowadays if someone carries the ball 25, 30 times, you know, they might protest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a different game. But uh, the, the run game, though, for sure, is it, it could be the quarterback's best friend for play action and creating space. Uh, absolutely. I'm all about that. Um it is different, though, run blocking. You can't – now, I've talked – I know coaches, and, and, you know, so it's it's changed how you can coach football and teach football. So, um, you know, it might be easier for the guys now, but because it, yeah, it's not as hard. It's not – they don't master it the same. It's more about shielding and uh, positioning and not, you know, not so much dominating. Um I would like to see us get more like, um, I'm looking for Hernandez, our guard, to, you know, I think he's on the right path, and now he's got to be consistent and, like, take that next extra step. Um, you know, I'd I, I like to see him more dominating as opposed to being adequate. Um, so 
finishing guys and, and you know, creating creases for Saquon. And there's, there's absolutely no reason that Barkley shouldn't be in, in the top rushers, every, you know, year in and year out. You take a lot of pressure off the quarterback, and, um, you know, it'll help the defense, it'll help the special teams, and it'll, it'll help us win. What is it about the offensive line today, the style of play that they play, Jumbo, that, that's different from the style of offensive line that you played in your day? Is it much different? Is it more about or less about technique than it used to be? Yeah, well, you, you, the technique is just not there. You know, when, they, when they're coming out of school, um, you know, the offenses are different now in college. So they're, they're coming out with different skill sets. And, you know, the practice is different, you know, on every level now. The contact they can have and the amount of uh, um, repetitions you can have, it's all changed. It's all very limited. So you can't do now what you did in the 90s or the 80s, or you probably get arrested as a coach. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so you're coming out and the guys are are used to these, uh, you know, these run-pass option offenses. And it's more about positioning and shielding. Um, you know, I'm generalizing. You know, obviously there's exceptions to that, but the um, it, it's just a little bit. Um, you know, it, listen, it's still one of the hardest positions there is, and one of the, in the hardest things there is in sport. But it's it is if you look at different eras, it is a softer. Uh, it's, it's definitely softer league. With, with, uh, and I think it, it's just going to continue that way. When you see uh, overall with the, the league's wanting to, to lengthen the season and the league's also concerned with the head stuff, that'll crop up again. That's not going to go away. Um, I just think, you know, eventually you won't even see three-point stances anymore. And this is the way that when the, when the game keeps evolving over the next decade. Well, then, in addition to, to those things, the way the game and, and the, the position has evolved this year because of the learning off of a television or computer screen, I can only imagine how difficult how the offensive line play is going to be whenever it is that they actually get on the field this season. Bingo. You, you know, you just nailed something that's so important. Now, as it is, it's starting to look like uh, we're always changing rules. If you notice, the first three games or so was a little sketchy, you know, turnovers and penalties and false starts and blah, blah, blah. It was sloppy, right? So the first three games in the modern era have kind of become like the, the preseason, almost. And so I think that just we, we're going to see that trend continue. And, you know, it is very challenging as a coach. Um, you know, as far as you, you can look at the playbook, and you can coach online, and, and like, what do they do? Zoom now, they call it. I'm not very technical. <laughs> they got a lot of names for it. It's a screen. That much I can tell you. It's a screen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, look. All right, so we're looking at a screen, and that's great. And the coaches are trying to do what they can in, in this environment. But, boy, you can't have a – even a walkthrough is so important, you know, to get out there – and put the image in your head and what the coach is trying to convey to you, uh, there's subtleties that have to be, you have to do in person, you have to do live, even if it's half speed. You know, you get to see, you got to time it up with the running back. Saquon's got to see it, you know, the different angles, the way the different defenses will respond to those plays. There's like a dozen subtleties that, that are missed by 
you know, doing what they're doing on screen. Although I know they have no choice. That's what they have to do right now. But it's going to make for a very interesting year. And it's going to be harder on, um, uh, you know, physically it's better for the guys in today's game. But, you know, it's going to be harder for the young guys to, to, to pick up the game as fast without the OTAs and the mini camps and, um, you know, the full go summer camps. That is Super Bowl twenty-five champion and former Giants left tackle Jumbo Elliott. Now, again, you can hear part two of our interview this weekend on the Giants Huddle here on Giants.com or the Giants mobile app and your leading podcast platforms. Jumbo will reveal some detailed behind-the-scenes stories about Hall of Fame coach Bill Parcells, the keys to the dramatic Super Bowl victory over the Buffalo Bills, and the legendary Lawrence Taylor. So check it out this weekend on the Giants Huddle podcast. It is fun stuff. And, Jeff, you you know what this is about because you won a Super Bowl, and whenever you earn a ring with a group of teammates, that collection of guys is always going to have such a special feeling about each other, and you will be able to tell stories about your teammates for decades to come. Yeah, and it's funny because as you go along um, and the years kind of pile on, you sometimes tend to forget some of those things that happened along the way. And then in the, when we get together, they're re, you're reunited. These these things come out again. Or like shows like this where all of a sudden something will remind me of something that happened in that season. And it's kind of fun to talk about it. So, yeah. And when you got 53 guys, there's 53 stories that guys that have stories you know, where, in fact, I think it's funny because there's a lot of times there's guys that tell stories that people don't even know what they're talking about. And it's very, like, for instance, like, like Strahan, he could, he, I, I was actually with Michael on Monday. We played golf together. Um, and I haven't seen him in a while. We, it was great to get together with him. And we were just kind of exchanging stories. And, and I, I said to him, and you'll enjoy this because you know the truth to this. I did not watch that game when it was re-aired on Fox. Right. I, I mean, I watched that game, but I, I never watched the game. Uh, until it came on. And Strahan did too. He never – and mm-hmm. Osi, same thing. Sean O'Hara, same thing. None of those guys ever watched the games after the game was over until that Fox uh, replay. And he said, you know what, Jeff? And this is really kind of cool. I didn't realize until after I watched that game – how important that defensive line and how much those guys played to win that game. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> I mean, Michael, uh, hello. <laughs> I hear oh, you. Oh, my goodness. And, and he was just like, you know what? And the thing about it is, is that we all were, we were all just balling that day. I mean, we all were just kind of, you know, really stepped up and, and put our game on, and we, and we did it. It was a lot of fun. But, yeah, it's great to reminisce with old friends and from your teammates and on those Super Bowl years. It's just a lot of fun. One thing that Jumbo said about the change in the offensive lines, now we all know that mm-hmm. in college they're playing a lot more two-point uh, stances and stuff. We're going to get to Dave on line one in just a minute, but I want to get your, your comment on this thing before we go to the phone lines because it is significant. In those days, offensive linemen were punishers. They were mm-hmm. supposed to not only open holes – but block downfield and make sure that you're stuck with your blocks. You sustained contact with the defender. And today, and Jumbo used the word shield. He's right. Mm-hmm. Most offensive linemen today are finesse offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. They just get in the way 
so that the quarterback has time to throw yeah. or the running back has time to find an opening. Sure. They're not necessarily blocking guys. They're just getting in the way. They're shielding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool way to put yeah. it. Well, it just goes to show you how the evolution of the uh, offensive line and the blocking schemes has changed from zone to man. You know, a lot of man blocking schemes back in the day where they, you know, one-on-one with the guy across from you. Who do you got? I'm blocking that guy. You're blocking that guy. Well, it went away from now. You got some of the, the Broncos, you know, introduced the zone blocking scheme where they don't, they don't, they just shield and then they move, they just move it. And that's kind of what you get. And that's what he's talking about. He also talked about the possibility of, did Lyman never going into a three-point stance again? Well, mm-hmm. I, I can definitely, I can definitely see that happening. I mean, look what the league's doing. They're, you know, they're they're running out of pass sets. They're running out of shotgun. So, I mean, every play could look like a pass if you wanted it to be. If you want to yeah. think about it. No, hey, I, why do you think I keep calling it video game football? is our phone number. Let's go to the phones. And Dave from Cranford, you're first on the show. Hello. Hi, Dave. And Jeff. Hey, Dave. It's great to talk to both of you guys. How are you, Jeff? Doing well. How about yourself? Good to to hear from you. I'm doing well, too. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff and and, uh, Paul. It's great to talk to you guys. Thanks so much for all the coverage and all the time. I I mean, I know it's, it's been harder and challenging, but I'll tell you, we're all we're all of us fans out here are still listening and engaged with you guys. So thanks so much. Well, thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> of course, of course. So, so I just wanted to throw out there just kind of the Dan, uh, a little bit about Daniel Jones. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but obviously his development. I mean, it goes without saying in terms of how important it is going to be for this season. But um, and and I get the fact that you know when when guys particularly in the quarterback position it's not necessarily a linear you know that you're just going to automatically build off of last year but i really think that you have to look at what he accomplished as a first year player um in terms of you know just his his uh th- different stats you know touchdown passes and and the way he you know walked in and and commanded you know, the huddle and, and then you see a lot of the results from the players. And I, and I really, it's amazing to me. And I just am amazed that there still seems to be this kind of negative perception of, of him in some ways. You know, I mean, I think there's more folks coming out saying, Hey, you know, but I think it's a lot easier. If you think about last year, he went into training camp and he was getting second team reps. Right. And, you know, um, um, rightly so. And this year, given the, I, I get the fact that it's, you know, um, you know, all the challenges in terms of the, the distance, but, you know, when camp does open up and when he is able to come back in, you know, he now gets to, number one, integrate an offense with everybody at the same time, which I think is an advantage, um, that he's not learning, you know, behind the rest of the offense. Mm-hmm. So he really gets to lead that. And I think number two, you know, he's going to, he knows right now that, you know, this is his offense and this is his team. And so he's got to clean up, you know, the big things that we know that he has to clean up. But I think they're very correctable, manageable, as opposed to, you know, you know, the things that he does well. So I'd just like to get you guys' comments on him and what you see going forward, guys. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank Go you, ahead, Dave. Well, I will say this, Jeff, and and we've talked about Daniel so much since he came into the league mm-hmm. last year as a rookie. The, the only thing that I would add to all the different stuff that we've said before is I listened to Jordan Palmer 
you know, Carson Palmer's brother, mm-hmm. who is a quarterback's guru and a quarterback's coach. Now, he does not have Daniel Jones amongst his students. Mm-hmm. He was on Sirius XM's NFL radio today and was asked about Jones and absolutely glowed about him. Called him, a, called him a superstar in the making, said everything that he's doing is above and beyond what anybody could have thought, that uh, not only was it a difficult situation for him to be thrust into because of the logistics and having to be a backup and then starting and having to learn the transition from the um, – the uh, uh, people at Duke to, to coming to the Giants, not having the great receiving core, not having a great offensive line. He said, you guys have no idea. You have no idea as fans what the transition was for him to have to step into Eli Manning's shoes. Oh, man. He said that mentally and emotionally was probably as hard as anything else that he had yes. to do. And what, what Palmer said is that – Daniel Jones's maturity, in addition to his physical traits, his maturity and the way he handled things, and this goes to exactly what Dave Gettleman said when they drafted him. It's about the guy's makeup. Yeah, talent is one thing, but you have to have a special makeup to handle that kind of situation and to also handle the spotlight of New York. When you put all those things together, Daniel Jones is the perfect fit to be the franchise quarterback for this team. I think the biggest thing for him, when you really – and listen, I, I kind of I get this in a sense because I know that, you know, with my sons who have played college football and one of them doing it now, um, stepping, in, stepping in somebody's shoes and, and playing to, uh, to those expectations, it's not only physically hard to do, but it's more – it's harder mentally. So, you know, because you are trying to put – you're trying to do so well when you're so young and Daniel last year being a rookie, you know, I don't care what school you came from and how you played. It's still the national football league. And it's your first year. You're going to make mistakes, but he's such a guy that he's very hard on himself. That's gotta be, that's the toughest thing in my mind that he, that he did last year was to get over that type of pressure um, from the fans and the, and, and the, everybody, the media. And he handled it incredibly well. Look at some of the games that he did. Um, So, I feel like that attribute is going to help him build on this season coming up a lot. And then he can just kind of build into being able to react and play the position the way he, they want him to. Jerry Shaplinski, the, the quarterback coach who was with Tom Brady up in New England, is going to be able to teach him some really good things about the position. Jason Garrett is going to be able to do that. So I see a lot of good things for Daniel Jones. And listen, if I was Palmer, I would be, I would be glowing too because you saw the way this kid played last year. And some of the games that he threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns in games, you're like, wow, okay. And guess what? He's only in his second year. That's really good. And we would be remiss if we did not give some credit to Eli Manning also for allowing well, that transition to be as smooth as it was. Because even though both Daniel Jones and Eli Manning had to admit that to some degree there was, there was a little bit of a, of a hurdle to navigate because obviously the emotions involved and mm-hmm. the status that Eli brought to that locker room mm-hmm. is going to make a natural transition become a little bit difficult. But those guys made it as easy as anybody could possibly make it. Yeah, and that's just that's just Eli Manning being Eli Manning, right? I mean, he's he's not gonna, 
he's not going to be a jerk about it. And he did the best he could with still trying to do what he was able to do. He was able to come and play a couple games still next year. And, and, you know, he, he, he knew it was time. Um, and he obviously helped Daniel in the meeting room on the field. And that's the kind of guy he is. Um, listen, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but there's a lot of times when I didn't have to do that when there was guys in camp with me, but I always, you know, you just kind of, out of camaraderie and just being a good guy and understanding that I can tell these guys all I want about punting. Eli could tell Daniel Jones all he wants about playing the position. You still have to go out and do it. That's the problem. <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of guys I was trying to help. They just couldn't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, you're right. A lot of kudos to, to Eli for helping Daniel Jones. And, you know, listen, he's going to have a lot of help still in that, in that quarterback room when they, when they chisel that thing down from, 15 quarterbacks in that room down to three, most likely. <laughs> I hear you. They got Nine, a lot of them right now. 973-667-1960 is our phone number. You can also hit us up at the hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. I am at Giants WFAN. He is at Jay Fiegels. You can also submit questions to the Giants website. That's Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. That is the address for the Giants mailbag, and we certainly go through those on a regular basis to see what else is floating about in uh, your guys' minds. Now, I did want to get to this news item, Jeff. Uh, earlier today, ESPN reported that the Hall of Fame game, August 6th in Canton, Ohio, between Pittsburgh and Dallas, has been canceled. The uh, Hall of Fame game will be rescheduled for next summer between those two teams, and they will have their induction ceremonies uh, for these players who are supposed to go in this year, I believe next year as well. Uh, that is the first thing, to mm -hmm. my knowledge, that the NFL has taken off of its calendar during the pandemic. Yeah, officially completely off. Like, I mean, the draft was kind of moved. Not the date wasn't moved, but just the way they did it, right? But it happened. Um, listen, I, you know, this is, this is the start of, of a lot of things that could be happening in the national football league. And I'm not going to be the first to tell you that, but you know, this is the first uh, chip that fell, right? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. so we got to keep a good, we got to keep an eye on what's going on. Um, right now the NFL and the players and coaches, uh, pretty much around the league are in, they're in a downtime where the guys are on vacation. Um, but I, I tell you what though, Paul, you know, as much as the, the coaches, are on vacation they're also on notice because a lot of this stuff could be changing as you you know day to day and there's 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 dates that are put in place for reasons and right now those those dates they're looking at them but i don't think a lot of guys are looking at them with concrete evidence that they're going to stand stand still for what they are and i don't know that for sure but i mean the way this is going with the, with the cancellation of the hall of fame game it kind of it kind of makes you think that there's probably more down the line of some sorts of cancellations for whatever it is. Well, know. the next key date on the calendar is training July camp, right? 28th, which yeah. is supposed to be the start of training camp okay. for most of the NFL teams. Ian Rappaport of uh, NFL Media is reporting that multiple teams are still proceeding as if that date is going to hold. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I got to believe the Giants are. I mean, I, listen, why not? Um, unless they tell you that it's going to be moved up to July 18th, then you got to be prepared for it. But right now, everybody's preparing for July 28th. I know the, you know the Giants are the they'll have the coaches come back early as they always do, and 
You know, I don't know if that 28th date, Paul, is um, rookies only. Because, you know, a lot of teams have the rookies in for the first three or four, two or three days, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. then the veterans come in. So it'll be interesting to see what the Giants do there, if, it, if they're all in together or, you know. And, and, and really, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to understand how this process is going to work with, you know, the quarantine and COVID stuff. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things in motion right now. There's yeah, a no, lot no of stuff doubt. going on. 973-667-1960 is our phone number to continue a look at what's going on during the course of this summer as we prepare for the season. Another statement uh, coming out, uh, this one to uh, Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. He is quoting an NFL source saying that, quote, attendance will be state by state, county by county thing. Mm. It will not be one size fits all. And unless somebody does come out with a blanket statement and and this turns out to be the case, you're talking about something that would actually go against the equity uh, or the equality feelings that the NFL has always tried to put forward. Because if you're going to play some games in front of some fans and other games with no fans, look, we understand. And quite frankly, I, I get it. The medical and the safety aspects have to come first. I would not complain about it. But for a league that has always stressed equality across the board, I do think there is a difference and there would be a home field advantage for teams that were allowed to have home fans in the building. No question. And I, I think that, that that has to go even further in other things that they talk about as far as state to state also. I mean, just because of the attendance, that's one thing, but there's going to be other issues that come up with items like that too i don't i'm not gonna i can't name one but I, I feel like it's not fair for one city to be able to take advantage of the you know the fans in the stands and the other ones not it's just not it's not i think it should be unified you know uniform unified across the league like you said they they normally do that so it's strange that they're actually taking that stance. It really you know, is. this would be a really good time to ask you something that I have never asked you before. You're no, a punter. No, I will not take your garbage out. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're a punter, okay? And we always hear that the quarterback signals, especially in obvious passing situations or when his team is down, uh, there's a lot of trouble with the offensive linemen and the receivers and maybe mm-hmm. even the running backs hearing the cadence and the calls because yeah. the the other team's fans are going to do what they can if you're the road team to make that difficult. Yeah. As a punter, did you ever have issues with stadium sound that it affected what you were trying to do on the field? Um, not from Not from a... I would say a logistical standpoint, like hearing the play, if we're going to call it, we're going to right kick or left kick, or we're going to do this or that or the cadence and stuff. I never really listened to it anyways. I always just watched the football. I mean, that's the easiest thing you could do, right? What has affected me, and it did affect me for years until you kind of, this is an acquired trait, if you will. It's just something you just learn to deal with. And for me, I started wearing earplugs because of it, um, is that when you do go on the road for those eight games, uh, during the regular season is that on third down, the team stops your offense and you go out there and it's loud and it can affect you because it's nerve wracking. So it's something, yes, it does affect you. It affects everybody. And, 
You know, even so, so it's, it's emotional. It's, it's emotional, emotional. It's as pressure. opposed to the actual physicality of, of being able to yes. execute the play. Yes. And so it's going to be somewhat easier to play in front of a no crowd than it would be, you know, with people in the stands, especially the away games. Now, here's another interesting aspect to this, because we're talking about road crowd noise. Well, we assume that if there are road crowds, they're going to be a lot smaller because they will have a lot fewer people in the stands understanding that there's going to have to be some type of social distance implemented. Uh But then you've got this other thing, too, which I know they do in soccer over in, uh, in Europe. You're talking about now, and NBC Sports' is a pro football talk site had this. Oh, I know where you're they're, going. They're here. citing a story from the Sports Business Journal that the NFL is talking about having the first six to eight rows in every stadium in the lower level, including the on-the-field suites, covered over with a tarpaulin because they don't want players anywhere near the field. The players, the coaches, the staffs, they want to get, if they're going to have fans in the building, they want them as far away from possible, as possible. So they're going to cover, according to this report, with a tarpaulin, all of those seats that are closest to the field. Now, A, A, that allows them to put advertising on those tarpaulins so that they can still collect some ad revenues because those advertisements will be seen on television by the cameras that are televising the games. Okay, so I get that that reasoning. It's a financial reason. It's also, I suppose, again, keeping people away from whoever is going to be on the field. But in addition to that, quite frankly, Jeff, with hmm. your fans and keeping them away from the field, I wonder how much they're going to be heard anyway, even if they are in the building. Well, what about this? What if you're a guy that has, you know, one of those seats in section 101, seat four, and that's oh, you mean of, like you mean like row four? Yeah, row four. Where now uh, he's either going to be tarpaulined over or move. <laughs> he's going to be, yeah, or or asked not to come in, right? So, and that's not going to be fair for a guy that's going to be in the twelfth row, which is where the tarpaulin is below him. You know, I mean, he gets to come in and I don't. So, you know, a lot of lot of discussionary stuff here. But I agree with, you know, I, I kind of see what they're sit, trying to say, you know. I mean, they want people around the players and trying to basically keep them away from any type of, um, you know, people and interaction, which, I mean, it sounds to me from that point of view that they're talking about not having people in the stands for a while. And by, by the way, the, the advertisement, well, that's going to take, that's going to help them because, they're not going to be making money off of those people in the in the stands that are going to be in the concessions and buying all kinds of stuff, right? Correct. Well, anyway, the Sports Business Journal reporting that the owners during their teleconference today, which we've all seen about in various news reports, the NFL owners are getting together today to go through another state of the league uh, address, if you will, during which they're going to discuss a bunch of issues as they try to move forward, supposedly this signage plan in the lower level of stadiums is going to be one of the things they will be discussing. Uh, that according, again, to the Sports Business Journal, as picked up by uh, NBC's Pro Football Talk. Well, listen, I, I think in order to have the discussion, there's got to be some premise behind the substance of why we're talking about it. And that is, I mean, the safety of the players, we got to go there first. And then now we're talking about you know, basically shutting out some of our fans around the lower bowl of the stadium, which means that those are going to be, 
not very happy campers. Um, and where do we put them? What, what, how are you going to put those people in a sold out stadium? Where are they going to go? You know, cause everybody else has seats. You don't just make them up somewhere. So that's an interesting discussion. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that one. Jeff, the only thing I can say is as these weeks go by, I am so glad I don't have to make these decisions. <laughs> well, Our phone number is 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. We go back to the lines. And Keith is in Cranford, New Jersey. You're next up on BBKL. Hi, Keith. Hey, good morning. Hi. Oh, I should say good afternoon. I really do appreciate listening to you guys. I mean, uh, I listen to you all the time, and I've uh, no, been a big fan. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And, uh, you know, I've been around for a while. I even helped build the first uh, giant stadium, and I built, helped build the second one, too. And so, you did a great uh, job. We appreciate that. Yeah, you well, might, you might I, know my dad. I appreciate what you guys did in the stadium. <laughs> my, my dad, uh, a union electrician, was actually one of the folks who uh, helped build the original Giant Stadium, so you may have known him. In fact, I used to fall out of bed right in Rutherford and be right there, man. It was pretty good. Was a... There you go. <laughs> but um, what I want to talk about is, uh, in the past, they if you had a new coach, um, you always got the uh, players in, a, I guess, a week early. And also I thought you'd bring in the uh, rookies a little earlier. I think it's even more important in this environment where you just had everything online and rookies aren't, don't even know where they're going or anything like that. And uh, it, it's, it's uh, I think you're at a severe disadvantage if, you, if every, everything starts at the same time compared to the teams that have – everything pretty much set and i was wondering what you guys thought of that well what we do know is that first year head coaches are allowed to have an extra mini camp during the off season and obviously the giants and any other team that fell into that boat did not get that extra advantage this year i mean it just got lost dallas you got dallas and uh and the redskins would be in that category in our in the division amongst other teams Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that's been lost, and you can't get that back. It's just, you know, there's just no way to, to institute any kind of ruling that's going to give them more personal, in, you know, upfront, hands-on time with the teams. That just, I mean, the pandemic has just disqualified that from happening. Yeah. Um, I also love to have, uh, when, when we had, uh, now, your guest, um, Jumbo Elliott, I mean, on, I mean, it, it, just having their insight into different things and the different people that you've been bringing them on at different points, I think it's been really informative. Well, we I appreciate that. you guys have been that. doing a really good job. Thank well, you. Well, we, we really do. And, you know, the plethora of folks who are willing to talk to us because they're either part of the Giants family, you know, once a Giant, always a Giant, or even those folks who have been connected to the draft picks, have all been incredibly cooperative, and, and we appreciate it because bringing that stuff to you guys is, is really a, a thrill for us and, quite honestly, also an education for us. We, we enjoy talking to these too. guys, too. <laughs> anyway, catch Giants Huddle, though, uh, over the weekend. Jumbo has so many awesome stories from his Giants career, and being an old-timer, I think you'll have a lot of fun. Okay, thanks. Be well. Thank you. 973-667-1960 is our number here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Paul Dottino along with Super Bowl champion Jeff Fiegels. Jeff, uh, another item that uh, had popped up, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, uh, tweeted out, I guess this was yesterday, 
he says uh, a month before rookies are scheduled to report to camp, 186 draft picks remain unsigned, including 29 of 32 first-rounders, according to the NFLPA. Some clubs continuing to tell uh, agents that they're waiting to conduct physicals at club facilities, which, of course, remains barred because of Mm COVID-19. So the numbers are as follows. In the first three rounds, three signed uh, in round number one, eight signed in round number two, and 11 signed in round number three. Do you have those teams? uh, In terms of the first round, the highest first-round draft pick signed is the Dolphins with quarterback uh, Tua Tago Bailoa. Uh, That's a tough one, but I think I did okay. Uh, He's got a four-year deal, and he was number five overall, which means that Burrow, Young, Okuda, and Thomas, the first four picks in this draft, have still yet to be signed. You'd have to go down to pick number seven, and Derek Brown, the defensive lineman who went to the Panthers, to find the next guy signed. And then, if you wanted to find the third first-round draft pick who was signed, uh, you would have to go all the way down to, oh, this list does not have the third first-round draft pick who was signed. Pelissero says there are three. This list that I'm looking at, I guess it has not been updated yet. It's over a week old. It says that they've only got two. But I do believe that Tom is right that they have three. Bottom line is that uh, most of these guys have been unable to sign their deals. And I don't blame the teams for not putting pen to paper, given that they haven't been able to get these guys in. Well, that's the big thing. I mean, the guys that have signed, they were able to get into their facilities at the time before the COVID shut everything down or the NFL did. Um, and get their physicals and sign their deals. That's what happened there. That's why I was asking what teams there were. You, you know, you think about Miami. Well, when when all this was going on, Miami, everybody was, you know, they opened the beaches down there and they were having a grand old time. Um, but that's not so much anymore. But back in no, back when, it's not. <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is, is that they were able to get to in the in the building, get his physical done, and sign him. You know, so right now it's just a matter of waiting the time to go by to get these guys back in the facilities because open up these facilities are they're, they're, they're a big issue. How to do it? I mean, the Giants opened up their facilities um, through major protocol going in there. God only knows when we're going to get back in there, but the fact is is that every one of those 32 facilities have got to do something to, um, to make it safe. All right, the the other guy signed, the third first-round mm-hmm. draft pick who was signed is at number 18, uh, Miami, uh, as, it would, as it would be, is uh, uh, offensive lineman Austin Jackson of USC. Yeah, we liked him. And so uh, that's it. So uh, numbers 5, 7, and 18. To Miami and Carolina. There you yeah. go. That's yeah. it of the first-round draft picks. Those are the only guys signed to this point. And you know what? That's that's a little bit worrisome at this point if you are an organization because you know you usually by this time, by the time that you go to training camp, most almost all your guys are signed. They're you know because if you have a rookie salary cap basically, so it's not it's not that hard to sign these guys. No, I mean, guys Saquon, are slotted now, and that's yeah, because of the last CBA. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times when you see guys that are not signed, it's not money, it's language, and it's the fifth year. It's you know what that, that's and the guarantees of, obviously and, and the guarantees yeah so I mean yeah. that's that's the big sticking point it really is okay back to the phones Let's and go. we go to Texas down in the deep south Dave you are next on BBKL hello 
Hi, guys. Uh, you guys do a fabulous job. I'm lost down here. I just moved here in October. <laughs> a giant fan in enemy territory. I want to make <laughs> a real suggestion. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Believe me. Uh, I'm lost down here without it, if it wasn't for you guys. But uh, a real fast suggestion, I'll take it off the air. Why can't these owners put a plexiglass shield around like they do in hockey and you can let all the fans in? Well, well you can't that. put plexiglass shields in between the seats because you have to protect the fans from each no. other if they're going to be sitting closely. Oh, is that, uh, you're, is that right? why they're doing that? Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's part of the issue. To keep the player. No. I thought they were just trying to keep the players and the fans separate. Well, the the, the top the, lane, they, they are. They, they are the top, wanting the, to do that, too. That's part of that. Yeah. But, you, you you know, you can't have fans sitting next to each other. That's dangerous to them, isn't it? Well, they do now in riots. Uh, well, that's, you know. <laughs> no the the NFL does that. not control what happens in the streets. They can only control what happens in their stadiums. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, let's go back. Go back to Twitter. Uh, we've got a couple of Twitter comments, Jeff, that I can uh, I can hit hit you up for nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty is our phone number. Um, we have here, uh, I believe it is from uh, Andrew Wilson, ESM, says uh, defensive tackle Davlin Tomlinson will be a free agent after the twenty twenty season. The Giants should extend his contract ASAP. Tomlinson has been the most reliable defender on the team for three years. He's been pretty steady. Yeah, he's been real steady. And, um, you know, we were doing over-unders. John and I were the other day. And uh, I'm picking him to have a huge year. A huge year. And when I, I don't mean huge year like 14 sacks kind of huge year. But um, <laughs> okay. I mean, what I mean by that is I, I, it's a contract year, which most players have huge. They try to have huge years. And um, I see him as being one of the sack leaders amongst that defensive line. I really do. I think he is. I think he's gotten considerably better every single year. And now that I think that I, you know how I love Sean Spencer. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna make this young man a really good football player. I, I know he's good now. So yeah. And, and you know what? This is where we always talk about drafts. You know, can you? get your draft picks to that second contract. And this is going to be one of those deals where can, can we, are we going to, are the giants going to be able to get Dalvin Thomason into a second uh, contract? That'll be important. So, you know, maybe, maybe they do, maybe they extend him during the season this year, but well, I look for a big year from him. Well, you joked a moment ago about double digit sacks, but, mm-hmm. but let me give you something here, Jeff, uh, in his rookie season, one sack and one quarterback hit, even though he started the entire year. In his second season, no sacks, no quarterback hits. Last but year, four and a half. Last season, three and a half sacks and, a half. Okay. and nine quarterback hits. Mm-hmm. He blew away the mm-hmm. numbers from his previous two seasons. And, oh, by the way, should we also mention he's also started every single game of his 48-game career. Mm-hmm. So, That's something that gets overlooked. It I really mean, does. you know, I, I think it's very fair to say that Dowlin Tomlinson is a very solid player who, if the arrow continues in this direction, could become even more than that this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. And I, and I, again, like I was telling you, you know, about Daniel Jones and how being a rookie is difficult and even going to the second year and third year, people do not understand how difficult this game is to play at every position. And you get better and better as the years go on. 
And really around your fourth, fifth, sixth year in the league, if you make it that long, that's when you start trying to figure – that's when you're figuring things out. That's when your game really takes – it takes that long. It really does. Now, some guys it doesn't because they're just, you know, they're just naturally really that good. Um, you know, so – but for the most part, these guys, they need a little bit of time and seasoning, I, I would call it. And Dalvin is one of those guys, and I think he's going to have a good year. Well, I think I ought to also remind people that when you look at Dalvin Tomlinson and his progress last season – you have to, and I mean you have to. I don't care how many people don't want to admit to this. You have to look at the impact that Leonard Williams had on him. Mm, good point. Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence both were very outspoken about how they were helped by the presence of Leonard Williams after he came over in the trade from the Jets. Mm-hmm. And anybody who does not recognize that is a fool. For example, Tomlinson last year, six of his nine quarterback hits came after the Leonard Williams trade. Mm. That's not a coincidence. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's not. Hmm. Yeah, because you know what? He takes a lot of pressure. <laughs> he, I mean, a lot of pressure off the other players because he's, he's the guy that they're going to be trying to – Keep their eyes on. I, listen, for Leonard Williams, to me, franchise tag, making a lot of money. This is a, you know, this is a make it or break it year for him. And if you're the Giants, you're sitting there saying to yourself, listen, I hope he does so well this year that we, don't, we can't afford to sign him. That's how good I think I want it. I hope he is. Because, you know, if, he, if that's the case and I'm sitting at the end of the season, i got to make a decision and I'm going to have to pay him a lot of money, that's okay. I mean, the guy just got me a lot of sacks in if that's the situation. That's what I'm looking at at Leonard Williams, and he's right. going to have to do it. Next up, uh, Empire Sports wants okay. to know if Benjamin Victor, the free agent receiver from Ohio State, can be the next Plexico Burris. He says long, lanky, can go over the top of cornerbacks and has a crazy big wingspan. You like him. Well, I do. Uh, I, I can't say that I don't. I like Austin Mack better, his Ohio State teammate, who has uh, mm-hmm. also joined Different, the Giants though. as an undrafted rookie free agent. Not quite as tall doesn't quite have uh, you know the 65 height that Benjamin Victor has but I do think he's more sturdy and I and I do think that his production at Ohio State was more to my liking uh, he's more physical uh, he's stronger I think his durability is going to be better and I just think he's better suited to an all-around pro game where I think Victor is more just a one-dimensional let's loop it up there for the guy. You know, you know, I want a skyscraper, but see, I think Mac has enough length that he can also play like a skyscraper. Yeah, a lot of competition at the wide receiver spot this year to try to fill that, what would be maybe the fourth, fifth, and sixth spot. You know, mm-hmm. that, you know, and he and those guys that you mentioned off the Ohio State team, two guys that were not drafted that come in here and want to compete, and we've seen it happen before where these guys that come from big-time programs that really, you know, at Ohio State, they just spread the ball around so much that these guys didn't get a chance to be the, the one guy. So maybe they come in here and make somebody, you know, uh, catches somebody's eyes and, and they makes the roster or even the practice squad. And, and we talked about this last week on our show is that with the, with the expansion of possibility of the practice squad going up in numbers, some of these guys might stick. You never know. No question. That uh, is going to really be a very intriguing situation as teams yeah. try to cut down on their rosters. It's like, well, wait a minute now. We got a chance to uh, to grab a, 
bunch of these guys that we really uh, thought we were going to have to let go and stash them on the side. Yeah, and a lot of them are the undrafted street free agents. No doubt. Those, those are the guys that are going to be your handful of you know picked guys to say, listen, normally, like you said, Paul, that we're getting rid of these guys. But, man, what a great luxury. We're going to be able to keep them. Final you know, comment develop them. before we send it out here, Jeff. Uh, John Latini says, guys, I like the opponent review you guys do on your shows. Curious, do you have uh, that for other teams coming up on the air? If so, we would love to hear them sometime. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, as it stands, the week of July the 6th, we will be back to doing our opponent preview shows. Mm-hmm. We have already done the Steelers, Bears, 49ers, and Rams the Giants' first four opponents on their 2020 schedule as determined by the National Football League. And then once we get to the week of July 6th again, uh, we will get back to uh, doing a preview team per show. So, uh, John, I appreciate the comment, and we enjoy doing those programs, and we do everything we can to let you in on the teams that the Giants are going to play. Well, we enjoy doing it because, you know, we're going to be following doing those games all season, and we we like to get a little preview of who they are, a lot of movement, a lot of new draft picks, and uh, especially the games in our division, the Giants division. So uh, we're glad you guys enjoy them because we enjoy doing them. Really quick, I'm told that Scott in New Mexico is on the line and wants to slam in a question before we say goodbye. So, hello, right, Scott. Hi, guys. Uh, I'll make it quick. Uh, I think the strength of the Giants this year is going to have to be the back end, uh, you know, safeties and cornerbacks. There's a guy on the market that I'm very enamored of. You guys probably are, too. Is there a possibility that the Giants can secure Adams from the Jets? which would then solidify their safety situation and give them more options. And he's the class of probably the NFL as far as safeties go. So is there a viability or, or any chance that the Giants could make a move for uh, Adams? And I'll take your answers off of here, guys. Go ahead, Jeff. No. <laughs> no. No. They just drafted a number one draft pick i mean i know adams is a good player an all pro number one draft pick. he's going to be wanting a lot of money and he's under contract so they really can't do anything about that um and i disagree with scott i think that the strength of this defense has got to come from the defensive line because i am not all that enamored by the back end of this defense i i really i mean other than bradbury i i i don't know i i'm i, I can't sleep at night with all with all the rest of those guys at cornerback i really can't because i there's Talk about it. I mean, think about that, Paul, for a minute. Can you safely sit here and tell tell yourself that the, the rest of those defensive backs, other than Bradbury, make you sleep well at night? Does doesn't make me sleep well at night. So no. I need I need I need some production out of that defensive line. Get some pressure on that quarterback to take the pressure off of the inexperience that I have in in the back in the back end of the defense. That's just me. Well, first things first, he is a New York Jet right now, and regardless That's of right. what we read in the papers about yeah. him demanding a trade, we don't know if the Jets are going to move him. They don't but, have to but, move him. But but I would I agree with you, and by the way, I think the Giants pretty much have an idea of what they want to do with their safeties right now, and I think yeah. the Jabril Peppers, they believe, is a long-term answer, and I, and I really think that besides Julian Love, they, they've got some other young fellas who they brought in this year who they would like to groom and kind of blend into that secondary without yeah. necessarily going outside the building. The other thing, too, My Scott, thoughts. to understand this is that – You also don't want to like the salary cap either. But, and, and, that, and there's the thing. That's what, that's what this is all about. This is all about, you know, he's, he's been to the Pro Bowl and he's been an All-Pro and he's on, his, he's on his rookie contract and he doesn't like it. 
<laughs> he wants to be paid. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. You've got a contract. You, they don't, we don't have to do anything with you. So you can complain all you want. You know, go play under your contract and if just keep your mouth <laughs> shut and go do what you can do. And then the team will come to you and say, hey, listen, we're going to get something done. Just be quiet about it and we'll be okay. But It'll that's all what, work out of the end. But Thank that, you, Jeff. Yeah, you're welcome, Paul. <laughs> we got to go. Good thing we got to go because I was getting ready. I, I was know, ready to I know. You had another half hour. <laughs> I, I know you were. I know you were, but I'm going to save you from yourself. <laughs> Remember, folks, hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat. I am at Giants WFAN. He is at Jay Fiegels. Put down the number 973-667-1960. We are here every weekday, 12 noon for one hour uh, on Giants.com. Also, the Giants mailbag is Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. We thank Giants Jumbo Elliott, legendary left tackle, for coming on the program today. Again, catch part two of his interview this weekend on Giants Huddle, and you will hear some awesome stories about his time wearing the big blue. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Paul Dottino. We'll see you next time.